For episode 3 of the Lost for Words Golf Podcast, I was joined by 20-year PGA Tour caddy and two-times Masters winner, Ted Scott. I'm joined today by a, a guy that really should be at Augusta National this week. He's uh, lucky enough to have been there for two wins um, and he's had an extraordinary time around there and it's just sad that instead of being there for the week, he's here with me, but I'm just really happy to be joined by Ted Scott today. Ted, welcome. Tom, thank you for having me, man. I appreciate you reaching out and look forward to our conversation. So I just wanted to um, start the podcast just with a little background of yourself, um, sort of how you got into caddying, and um, so obviously you're a foosball champion as well. It's not just golf that you're, it's your first love. (laughs) Yeah, you know, I've I've kind of been a renaissance man my whole life. Um, You know, I guess some people might call it ADD. I can be doing one thing and then all of a sudden see something else and start doing that thing in the middle of leaving another. So, uh, just have a real passion for learning anything. I love, you know, language, cooking, you know, DIY projects, sports. I mean, that's just my nature as I love to learn any, anything new. It's fun, exciting. And I also love to be around people who are excellent at what they do. When I was young, someone told me, if you want to get good at something, find someone who's better than you and spend time with that person. Right. And it's kind of been my motto, uh, less more, I'd say less education, traditional education, more just find people that are really good at something and spend time with them. So that's really how I got into foosball and how I got into caddying, you know, um, you know, in foosball, I was playing, playing uh, pool every, every day, um, you know, like billiards, as you guys might call it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and cause my neighbor owned a billiard hall and um, I was just in there. I was fascinated with the game of nine ball and my grandfather played it as a kid. So um, I really got into it. And then at nighttime, I started going into the pool hall when I turned 18. And I noticed that a bunch of people were playing foosball, hollering at each other and every Monday and Thursday night. And I just went back there to see they were having a tournament. And a guy said, hey, you know, uh, I, I asked the guy, I said, hey, I, you know, who can teach me how to do this? And he said, well, go talk to the owner of the tournament. So. <laughs> That guy was a state champion and started teaching me, and I quit playing pool and started playing foosball. And the way I got into caddying was uh, a very similar. I, I had turned pro to teach golf in 99, and I ran into a man. I was playing really well at the time myself who wanted me to play as, you know, who wanted to give me money to go play golf. So I decided to start playing the mini tours, and I was practicing. And the web.com tournament comes to my hometown every year. So I decided, hey, you know, take that philosophy if I can get on, on someone's bag for the week, it'd be a great opportunity to learn. And, uh, and fortunately I, I was able to pick up a bag for the week, Grant Wait, you know, many of you might be familiar with him and, uh, you know, I'd learned a lot and he asked me to go for a few more weeks and that's how I got into caddy and I never looked back. So it was, it was just a random coincidence that, uh, I went to caddy that week and, <laughs> you know, ended up here. I am 20 years later caddying still. <laughs> and, Pinch and- myself been very fortunate i see and, and that's and when you got with grant there it was actually quite a, a funny story that i read that uh that, was it that you kind of uh sort of had a bit of a fever that week and was really yeah, sort of worried about playing like, i'll tell this i don't, I don't want to take up too much time but i'd be uh, happy to you, tell the you story to you for it. no i want to hear it yeah so so uh my my uh you know my deal was i tried to monday qualify and i had 102 fever and i basically you know that's not why I didn't make it. I really wasn't that good. I don't know why I was trying to play, but, um, but anyway, so I decided to go caddy and I called out there and they said, yeah, just come find the caddy master on, you know, Tuesday. And I said, okay, so I, I'd have, you know, never grew up at a club where they had caddies or anything. So I didn't really know anything about caddy. And obviously I was a scratch golfer and knew about golf, but 
Um, so anyway, so I went out there and I'm roaming around trying to find this caddy master and nobody seems to know where this guy is, who this guy is. So a friend of mine was driving by in a golf cart and I said, Hey, Kinley, you know, do you know where the caddy master is? And he asked me, he said, you want a caddy this week? I said, yeah, well, he happened to have Grant Wade in the cart with him. He said, well, here, Grant Wade. Grant was just telling me he's looking for a caddy. So Kenley Jones said, hey, man, look, you know, this Ted's a scratch golfer. This is home course. You know, it'd be great for you. So Grant quickly explained to me that, you know, what he was going to pay me was 500 bucks for the week. And I was waiting tables at night at the time. So I was like, man, that's more money than I'm making for a week. And I wouldn't have any expenses. So I was excited. Then he explained to me what five, seven, ten meant. And I was like, whoa, this is really getting better by the moment. And um, then he then he proceeded to say, hey, let me just go change my shoes and we'll go play the front nine. And I said, today? And he said, uh, yeah. I mean, the guy just hired me, right? And I said, look, man, I can't caddy today. I've got a fever. <laughs> so, <laughs> so any other pro would have said, all right, I'll just get somebody else for the week. So he goes, well, can you come watch me putt tomorrow? I said, yeah, I guess I'll try to feel better by tomorrow. And for sure, by Thursday, I'll be ready to go. So I watched him putt a little bit on Wednesday. And uh, meanwhile, he had gotten someone to just go carry the clubs on the front nine on Tuesday. So Thursday rolls around, and we I'm watching this guy warm up. And if you don't know who Grant Wade is, look his swing up. He's like Iron Byron. I mean, the guy didn't miss a shot on the range. I was just freaking out. I was like, oh, my gosh, who is this guy? I've never seen anybody hit a ball like this so far and so straight. So we start on the 10th tee, and they're about to announce us, and he had not seen the back nine. So he asked me, he said, hey, Ted, what's it to carry that bunker right there? And I replied, it's a two iron. So... He, he asked me, he said, look, he goes, I don't know how far you hit a two iron. So that's kind of irrelevant to me. I said, yeah, that's a good point. So he asked me again, he said, so how far is it? So I kind of gazed off into the, the, the fairway and looked at the bunker. I said, eh, it's about 200. <laughs> so he looks down at the ground and kind of like shaking his head like, okay, I'm going to have to rephrase this question. Ted, how far is it to cover that bunker in your yardage book? To which I replied, I don't have a yardage book. <laughs> so Grant's eyes got very large. And he says, you don't have a yardage book? I said, yeah, I don't have a yardage book. I, I thought you'd have a yardage book. You're the pro. <laughs> because when I played the mini tours, you know, of course, I carried the yardage book. So he said, you got to get a yardage book. I said, where do I even get a yardage book? I mean, it's my home course. and I don't even know if they have one. So he says, go to the pro shop. So I sprint to the pro shop. Luckily, I knew the pro. He just threw one at me. I ran back to the tee, which was probably about a 300-yard round trip, as fast as I could run there. Now on the tee, I'm flipping through the book. You know, Grant, wait. It's 2.03 to cover the bunker, Grant. He pulls out a two-iron. Like, so all along, you were correct anyway. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, well, I just told you it's a two-iron. You pulled out, and it's 2.03. I mean, about 200. You know, what, what the heck? You're not that good. So anyway, he ends up birdieing the first hole. And uh, he birdies uh, he, he birdies the first hole, pars the second hole, birdies the third hole, which the third hole for me was always a really hard hole. It's a dog leg around, around water, par five, and there's OB right and water left, so it's a real tough tee shot. Anyway, he had driver five iron, two putt birdie. So now we get to the 13th hole. This is where it gets really bad. My caddy starts to really kick in. <laughs> so every year at the time in 2000, the hardest par four on the web.com tour was the 13th hole at my, at my home golf course. It was like a 4.78 or something. Just wow. It's such an unfair, stupid hole, right? It was bad back then. They redid it since. But anyway, so he asked me, he said, what's this hole? And I replied, this is the hardest par four on the tour <laughs> every year. There's water in front of the green. There's water right here. And these trees left are dead. And wait, do you see this? You know, I'm just trying to sell him on how bad this hole is and how impossible it is. 
And he interrupts me and says, whoa, whoa, whoa. I said, what? He goes, listen, man, no hole's hard if you execute. Every hole is hard if you don't. So I'm like, let me write that down. And yeah. he's trying to write it down in my best one. I'm here to learn, man. This is good. And he goes, Ted. I was like, what? He goes, what, what do I do? I said, oh, yeah. You know, hit a three-wood right at that mound right there. So eight seconds later, Tom, this three-wood lands right on top of this mound. I'm like, who is this guy? <laughs> never heard he hits an eight-iron to one foot and taps it in for birdie. I'm like, wow. unbelievable. So he ends up bird, uh, going birdie there. Then he eagles the next hole, which is a par five. So on the on the way to the 15th tee, I said, let me go use the portalette. And I, I stopped and called my fiance and I said, hey, sweetheart, what's 10% of 90,000? <laughs> so I kind of put the cart before the horse. But uh, the end of the story is kind of funny, too, where Sunday rolled around and he had helped me with my swing on the range. Like I was actually hitting balls on the range. And Grant was just so nice to me, taught me how to caddy, working with me on my swing all during the tournament. He was just like, I mean, he's such a good guy, right? Yeah. So I had never been on time a day in my lifetime. Always, <laughs> even I could sit in the parking lot and be there on time, and wait till the time runs out, and then get out of my car. It's just how it was. I don't know why. And so, uh, one of my friends always hated that policy I have. Well, he had been following us all week. So Sunday, I was going to get there an hour and ten minutes early because Grant wanted me there one hour early. You know, I thought, man, I'm going to I'm going to do this guy a service and and get there on time. So uh, I got there an hour and ten minutes early. And I walked in and my friend Cameron said, man, you're late. I said, buddy, I'm not late. I- I'm finally early. It's the first time ever. And he said, last night was daylight savings time. So oh, no. <laughs> I guess I'm late. <laughs> so I was there 10 minutes before his tea time. And I, I, I caught him walking to the first tea and kind of looked at him. He said, you still want a caddy? I said, you still want me to caddy? And so he laughed about it. He was gr- very gracious. And uh, then he asked me to caddy again the next week and, before you know it, three months later, we're we're in the final group with Tiger at the Canadian Open, where he hit the six iron out the bunker. So it was a pretty wild start to my career. Yeah, and I bet that was kind of um, a bit of a strange time to go from where you were that week to uh, playing with Tiger Woods three months later. Oh man, was it? I mean, it was. You know, I was a deer in headlights from day one, caddying. You know, just trying to figure out carrying a big staff bag and writing down stuff and marking stuff down that I had no idea. You know, I mean, I grew up, you know, playing public golf and didn't really have you know many many mentors so i just kind of played the game and didn't know much you know didn't have a, a great strategy or you know where to hit it where not to hit it you know it was just kind of like just hit it and find it kind of a deal so i had a lot to learn and he was fantastic at teaching me all that stuff and, and it was a, it was a lot of fun man to jump right into that and like i said i love learning anything new so you know the whole the whole new aspect of caddying was awesome i, I, I couldn't get enough of it it was so fun yeah, so obviously you're there, you're kind of bewildered by the whole caddying experience just with Grant Waite, and then um, were you kind of starstruck by Tiger? Did you find it difficult to kind of focus on your job at hand when, when you're playing with a guy like him? Or? You know, it's, it's absolutely right that I was starstruck, you know. I mean, I was starstruck by Davis Love, Freddie Couples. I mean, anybody we saw out there, I was like, oh my gosh, these are childhood heroes, right? And then yeah. Tiger, the phenomenon, you know, at watching him from starting in 97, I had watched all of his U.S. amateurs and U.S. junior amateurs as well. So, you know, I was totally in shock like everyone. And then in 2000, the reason he played in Canada was because Lee Trevino was the only one who had ever won the, the Open Championship and uh, and the U.S. Open and the Canadian Open. Right, yeah. So he wanted to set that tie that record or get that record as well. So that's why he signed up. So, of course, he's having the greatest year and everybody's touting him as the greatest player ever, you know, potentially and at the time. So... Yeah, it was it was amazing. But, you know, the coolest part of the story as far as that's concerned is 
they had set up the, the you know when you have a parade and they set up those steel barricades yeah they they set those up from the from the driving range to the first tee which is about a 250 yard walk and they had them on both sides because they expected such large crowds because they sold out so quick when tiger joined the tournament and walking from the putting green to the first tee like i said is you know pretty far walk uh, we were following Tiger, and literally people were crying like they saw the Beatles or Justin Bieber or something. I don't know. You know, like they were like, oh, my God, Tiger. <laughs> I was like, this is crazy. I mean, this the energy just going to the first tee had me shaking in my boots. And, uh, you know, he was so confident that when he said hello to me on the first tee, it about knocked me over with confidence. It was just like almost like he looked through me. I, was, I wanted to say, Grant, we got no chance. <laughs> like, we can't. You know, uh, but Grant shot 66, you know, missed one green on the fringe and uh, and really set the tournament record by three and still lost by one to a 65. So, you know, you, you could only do so much. And uh, that guy was just amazing. It was a phenomenal day and a lot of fun. And I was totally a deer in headlights. And Grant might have played better if he had an actual experienced caddy on the bag. Who knows? You know, <laughs> happened, but I was just carrying the clubs and shut up. <laughs> and how, how long did that relationship with yourself and Grant last for? We caddied. Uh, we worked together um, for three years, and then um, I decided to go back to playing mini tours because I started teaching Paul Azinger how to play foosball, and I played golf with him one day, and I beat him, and he's like, "Dude, you're really good. You should try to play again." And I thought, "Really? You think so?" And he said, "Yeah." So he kind of convinced me to to quit caddying and try to play again, and so I, I actually quit caddying, started to try to play, and then I got and then I got married, and I was like, "Man, I don't know if I want to put my wife through." mini tours you know it's a, that's an expensive endeavor i don't have a lot of tournament experience and you know to say that i don't really have a background that says i'm good enough and so uh paul azinger actually asked me to go caddy one week to play in a foosball tournament at night believe it or not they have really good foosball in flint michigan so he's like hey you want to come caddy in flint michigan one week you know we'll go play foosball every night i said yeah i'd love to so uh i ended up caddying for him for three years believe it or not <laughs> it's yeah. kind of a Random thing for one week and then got back into it and then uh, split with him. And that's when Bubba and I got together. So it's pretty strange how it all worked out. Yeah, and I remember sort of reading about sort of towards the end of the relationship with, with Paul. And it was almost kind of a, a fear of what was going to come next. And uh, if I've got, a, uh, got the story right, was it Ben Crane that introduced yourself and, and Bubba? Yeah, that's that's absolutely right, Tom. Um, uh, I didn't know what I was going to do. There wasn't really any any players available. You know, it was a little bit easier, a lot easier back then to get a job, but there wasn't players available that I necessarily was excited to maybe try to work with. I was like, yeah, I don't really, you know, I don't know if I want to do this. You know, maybe I'll go back home. And, you know, like I said, I'm kind of a renaissance man, so I have all kinds of ideas of things I like to do. And I was like, man, I could find a lot of fun things to do. And Ben Crane called me and said, hey, would you want to would you want to caddy for Bubba Watson? I said, man, I, you know, I've heard he's very talented. You know, I'd love to give it a shot and see what it, what it's all about. But um, we were expecting our first child. So when Bubba, uh, when Ben asked me, you know, I told him, I said, I, I can't do it for two months. So that was kind of a risky deal because I wanted to make sure I was home for the birth of my child. Yeah. And, um, you know, Bubba was like, OK, you know, I'll, I'll wait. And uh, we, we had a two week trial run in uh at the end of the year and we finished um we finished uh, 11th and 12th the first two weeks so it was a pretty good start and that was the end of his rookie year so that's when we started in, in 2006 yeah and you uh and sort of uh, going on from there you had a, a pretty good 2007 you actually had a good chance at the the u.s open for for three rounds there you were you were really you know 
inside the top three and then and a difficult Oakmont course as well. Yeah, he was two back um, going into 17, actually, uh, on Sunday and finished fifth. So uh, he was nine over par and finished fifth. That tells you how hard the course was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and was that kind of um, obviously he played well in his rookie year and he'd had some good chances that year as well. But was that maybe the biggest moment for him where he'd realised actually how talented he was and, and what he could do in the game? You know, Bubba um, as a as a twelve year old junior shot sixty two and won by forty three shots in a tournament. So I, <laughs> I think he's known for a long time how good he was at golf and. Um, he also, uh, I think he lost in the junior masters finals, you know, so he, he's had some great history and the mini tours, he, he literally, you know, someone gave him one entry fee to, to play the mini tours. Just, they said, here, I'll pay for one entry fee. And he made so much money. He never had to ask for money again. <laughs> and he actually went out and bought a Mercedes Benz with cash while he was playing the mini tours. Wow. That's some I think confidence. <laughs> Well, I'm saying that's he he paid it off. Like, yeah, I think his worst finish at, on the mini tours was like third, and there was one tour that he Slocum's dad ran that I believe he won like ten out of twelve events or something. So, the confidence and the game has always been there. The biggest the biggest hurdle for Bubba in the early years, you know, he played he played three years on the web before he graduated to the PGA Tour. Yeah, and. uh and the biggest hurdle for him, you know, he three years on the web and four is f- fourth year on the PGA Tour, fifth year on the PGA Tour is when he finally won. So seven year drought on the big stage, and yet won almost every other week on the mini tours, right? So you kind of go, well, I don't get that. And for him, the biggest hurdle was always the mental aspect of, uh, you know, dealing with crowds and people because you know Bubba with the way he hits the ball and the the crazy pink shaft and how far and the curves, you know, he attracted a crowd sort of before he was really, you know, a, a, a champion. And I think that's something that he had huge fears of because, he, you know, he's he's always had a fear of, you know, shaking hands, being in a crowd of people he doesn't know and sitting in a restaurant with people behind him and, you know, just a lot of the stuff that that, uh, that most golfers wouldn't be worried about. It's a distraction for him, you know, you know more so than the actual – hope I can do well in this shot is more like what's that guy doing over there, you know, standing so close to me while I'm hitting this shot. So there's a lot of fears that really, you know, don't come on the golf course uh, for him when there's no crowd watching, if that makes sense. So it's a very unique situation. I mean, you know, I think Bubba Watson is one of the most talented golfers I've ever seen in my entire life. I mean, he literally can take a month off, not hit a ball and show up and just stripe a 320 yard drive down the middle. Like and not even warm up. It's it's the craziest thing you've ever seen. I'm like I don't get it. You know how he does it. So I think for him that was the biggest hurdle. Um, you know he always knew he could do it, and and that was just kind of some confirmation that hey, you know if I can focus, then I can play well. And so I think the more that he did that, the better he got at at wanting to to change mentally, so so the results would get better. You know being willing to work on your weakness. And, and if I got it right, do you remember you, you sort of had to have a, quite a frank conversation with him about these sort of things where you're almost thinking if I, if I say this and overset the mark that, you know, I might lose my job, but it needs to be said for us to move on. Yeah, you know, I, I think I waited too long, to be honest with you. You know, I mean, I started working at the end of 06 and and it was, uh, you know, in um, the during the week of the quali- the memorial tournament, the Monday after the memorial in 2010, 
that I basically had a conversation with them where I just said, look, man, you know, here's the deal. You know, you have, you have great life principles and off the golf course, you're great at those things. You know, you're a really great dad and person and friend caring, but on the golf course, none of that's being reflected. Your, your values off the golf course are not even close to your values on the golf course. And I just said to him, you know, if you don't change that and marry those two together, I don't want to work for you anymore because I, I just can't take it. You know, I, I don't want to spend time around somebody who's so negative and so frustrated on a golf course all, all the time, you know, because that's not that's not who we should be. I mean, it's a game we're playing. And yes, there are times where you get frustrated, but to go 18 holes every single day in frustration is miserable. And you're doing one of the things that most people wish they could do for a living. So you know, I just had a talk with him like that. And I thought, I mean, dead serious. I thought, you know what? I'm fired, but I'm okay. With that. I was at a point where I just didn't want to do it anymore because I don't want to, I don't want to be around somebody that, that is, is that way. And you know, this is what I love about Bubba. And we were talking earlier before the podcast started about criticism. You know, I criticized him and I thought, okay, he's going to fire me. And I had one of his friends was there. So I criticized him in front of another friend. And he said to me, he looked me in my dead in my eyes, but as serious as he's ever looked and said, you're absolutely right. And I, I was like, I am, you know, and uh, <laughs> yeah. the, the very next tournament we played in was his first win ever. So it was, it was just really interesting. And ironically, in that in that tournament at Travelers in 2010, we were on the 27th hole and he started to he started to act up on the 27th hole. And it, it was our ninth hole, you know, ninth hole of the tournament. Uh, it's the number ninth hole of the the tournament there and um and it's real close to the clubhouse and I, and I said hey I don't know if you remember my talk but the clubhouse is right there I will walk in I don't I don't want to do this if this is and he said you're right man again he said I'm, I'm sorry I said perfect look I don't expect perfection just work on it man you know you can be frustrated we all going to get frustrated it's golf it's a freaking irritating game it's unfair <laughs> stripe it down the middle end up in a divot your ball plugs the other guys doesn't you know it's like I, it's a hard game so of course you're going to be frustrated, but just show me that you're trying to get better at your at your approach to it. And he's like, you're right, man. I'm sorry. I'm going to work on it. I said, perfect. And then he won. So really, I don't take credit for his win. You know, I think we all need people in, in our lives that hold us accountable and make us better. And, and change is not easy. And I really am proud of him for being willing to change because most of us aren't willing to change and work on our weakness because it's a scary thing to face what you're not good at. And that's the thing there, and it's quite an important point I wanted to raise there is, and you've gone into it really well for me, is, you know, a lot of people see a caddy player relationship as purely golf and very technical and yardages and, and things like that, but how much more of it is actually more personal and, you know, you're spending hours upon hours almost every day of the week with each other. You need to really get on and be able to have those frank conversations for a relationship to develop and, and for the on-course results to come. Tom, you're so right. I, I think it's like any successful relationship. You know, there's there's dynamics that make it work and don't work. And it's probably why there's such a high turnover rate of players and caddies. Probably just like, you know, a man dating a woman. You know, it's like a lot of men and women date for six months and then break up and date, they date another, you know, until you finally find the one kind of thing, you know. And that's that's the difficulty in this situation is there's financial and, and your job is on the line. So, it's a it's a very difficult environment, you know, because it's it's a performance based, uh, you know, sport in the sense that you you have to play well to have a job. Whereas you know you can sign for the next five years to play on a football team, you know, soccer we call it over here, but you guys yeah. call it football, you know, 
a five-year contract. Okay, you're guaranteed to play for five years. You're not in golf. So you're talking about a very stressful performance-based deal. And so you really do need, in my opinion, someone that can make you at ease to play your best. And so that, that starts first and foremost with the right personality. And that doesn't mean that it has to look like we get along. There's certain people that, that literally, I mean, I remember one year when BJ won nine times, he and his caddy, because I was Paul Azinger and him played a bunch of practice rounds together. Yeah. He and his caddy would fight like in practice rounds. They would <laughs> never seen. I was like, how in the world are these two working together? I mean, it was like literally one of them would come over to you and talk bad about the other one. And the other one would come over and talk bad about the other one. And they would fight and you're just going, what? But yet somehow that motivated VJ or fired him up and he played phenomenal. So it's really, I don't know what the answer is as far as like what makes it work, but it definitely is. There, there has to be some kind of dynamic that brings out the best in the player. And, you know, fortunately, Bubba and I, I think, have found a pretty good, you know, flow to that. But, um, but man, it's, it's, it's a hard answer as far as trying to figure that out. I don't think there is a definite way to do it. But yeah, very important, the relationship, in my opinion. Yeah, and I think there's another point you made there is that there is no sort of one-size-fits-all. I think a lot of players, some need uh, challenging, some need um, sort of complete confidence from their caddies, and some need a little bit extra work. And and some are not, you know, it's a horrible phrase to say that some are just there to carry the bag and, and sort of give them confidence, because that obviously isn't ever the case. But um, I think a lot of people, sort of, sort of like Rory McIlroy and, and Dustin Johnson, people that have got friends and family on the bag, where... It, you know, there are more experienced caddies out there that could help them from a technical point of view, but they feel at their most comfortable with those guys on the bag, and and that possibly allows them to fulfill their potential above above an experienced caddy. Yeah, you know what? I mean, like I said, I, I had zero experience, you know, <laughs> to yeah. begin caddying, and uh, even the first the first probably year with Bubba, you know, Bubba, the guy he had caddying for him before, you know, Bubba's rules for him was look, just carry the bag. I don't need anything, you know. And so um, the first few weeks, I, I actually, um, you know, caddied for Boa. He's like, look, just carry the clubs and give me the number. So I would give him the number, carry the clubs, and he would do all the, you know, the thinking and everything. And then, um, you know, what changed for us was I think we, we played in a mini tour event. One of his friends ran a mini tour, and he asked me to go play in it, that we were going to donate any money that we made back to his friend. And uh, – I actually finished third, two strokes behind Bubba. It was the best I've ever played. And I think from that day, he was like, oh, maybe I'll start asking him. He's actually decent at golf. Um, so anyway, that was that was uh, kind of the start of me starting to, you know, get involved with his decision-making a little bit. But uh, the one thing that was really difficult in the beginning was Bubba was, you know, I think he had a fear of communicating even, you know, like if I tell people what I want to do and they don't like it, what would they think or, you know, what if this or, you know, whatever we have fears, all of us do. And so he would say, this was the hardest part in the early years was, um, you know, what club do you like? And I would say, what kind of shot are you going to hit? And he would say, I don't know, man, (laughs) the one guy that you need to know what kind of shot he's going to hit is Bubba Watson. (laughs) Trust me, you know, because he can hit uh, an eight iron from two fifty to one, you know, one ten. you know, I don't know. Yeah. It's such an extreme, um, that's obviously an exaggeration, but it's, you know, he's just so extreme in the distances that he hits it. So, uh, very difficult, but I'll, I'll tell you real quick, if I'm not over, if I'm not talking no, too no, much. You carry on. This is a really funny story. I think you'll get where Bubba was in 2007. Bubba made, 
11 birdies on Saturday of the Houston Open, and he was he was leading the tournament. Yeah. But what's interesting was we got to the fourth. I think it was the 14th hole, and the pin was back right. It's a par three, and the wind was about five miles an hour at our back. And so we there was uh, it was one it was a uh, 196 to the pin, 204 to the back edge, and the pin's on the right. And I knew just from watching him that. He likes to draw the ball when it depends on the right. He likes to cut it when it's on the left. So I'm like, okay, he's going to want to draw the ball. There's a little bit of wind at our back, and I knew how far he'd hit based on observation, right? Yeah. <clears throat> so not a lot of communication. We're leading the tournament. He hasn't won one yet. And I thought, hey, I'm just going to step in and caddy here because, you know, he's he's aggressive. He's an aggressive player. And over is just dead, right? So, Tom, I said, I said, look, it's 196 here, and he's he's got, like grabbing his 7 iron. I said, look, man. You know, let's just hit an eight iron. It's a par. It's a par hole. You know, I know he's on fire with birdie, so all he can see is red, right? You know, yeah, <laughs> it's hard to slow him down. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I said, look, man, it's a, you know, and there's a par five coming up again that he can reach. So I'm like, look, it's it's a par hole. It's 196. Let's just take an eight iron. You can't hit eight iron 204. Let's just hit eight iron and take over the green out, okay? And he and he goes, yeah, you're right, okay. And I'm telling you. As God's honest truth, this is what he this is what he did. It's the craziest thing that's ever happened to me on a golf course. And you're gonna you're gonna laugh at this. And people, I've told the story a bunch. It's nuts. He literally takes it back at impact. He yells out as he's making contact with the ball. Don't ever tell me I can't hit an eight iron two hundred four. <laughs> I go what? And I'm watching this ball fly, drawing directly at the pin. It lands about three yards past and one hops over the green. To which I go, what are you doing? You <laughs> I'm not trying to challenge you to a long drive contest. I'm trying to help you score. Like I'm not, I'm not against you. And he's like mad at me for telling him he can't hit an eight iron two hundred four. I'm like, well, it's a nine iron then. It's a wedge. Whatever you can't hit two hundred four is what I want you to hit. Like, what are you doing? That's incredible. And so he he gets it up and down and uh and it was I mean a stupid hard up and down. He tipped it up and made the putt. But just, you know, I was like, what is this person I'm dealing with? You know, he's he is distracted and I don't know what's happening, but uh, really funny, you know. So the early years were tough to, to club and, and caddy for him. It was uh, difficult trying to choose clubs, but a lot of fun, man. I've seen so many great shots and, um, you know, super talented guy. And now we're more traditional now where we actually communicate and talk and, you know, um, I try to, you know, help him with confidence when he's when he's in doubt. But for the most part, you know, I don't I try to say as little as possible because he's such a great instinctual player. I don't want to get in the way of that. You know, as I've said before, he's the artist. I'm just trying to carry his brushes. Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah. And and, and that show Houston Open as well was that was obviously a really good chance for him to get his first win. Um, and Adam Scott had to shoot a 66 to win on the Sunday. But how? What, what was the pressure like on the Sunday? Did, did he really struggle just because he wanted it so much or anything like that? Or was it just a case of it It was hard to follow up such a good round from the day before? I think it's a little bit of both. You know, obviously it's very difficult to go shoot that kind of score and then come back the next day and, and feel like, you know, when you make a par, you're like, oh, gosh, this is terrible. You know, it just has that different feeling to it. But um, But more so than that, you know, just trying to win, you know, on your – first time on the PGA tour or any big tour for that matter is difficult. You know, it's just, it's a lot of pressure, you know, you know, your grandma's watching and your friends and, you know, and, and it's, it's kind of like, you know, when you have, when you have the lead in your club championship for those viewers listening, um, 
you know, you have the lead. What's the first thing that's going to happen the next day is your buddies are going to call you up and say, what did you shoot? How'd it go? Did you win? <laughs> And you and you're thinking about that, you know, your time yeah. travel in your mind, and the time travel is what makes winning so difficult. Uh, winning a big golf tournament, you know, because especially if you have the lead or you played great the day before and put yourself in contention, you have so much time on your hands to to think about what if, and even during the round, you're on hole one and oh, 18, which is one of the I think it might be the hardest scoring par four or one of the top five on the on the PGA Tour is the is the 18th hole there you know you have so much time to think about man what if this what if that you know so it's very difficult to win your first tournament and uh and stay in the moment so yeah he definitely you know had some struggles with that and um and interestingly enough Bubba has won five out of six uh of his wins in a playoff and That's I think exactly what I was gonna go on today yeah <laughs> yeah I think he's birdied uh I think he's birdied five out of six the first hole five out of six times I think yeah. the was the only one he didn't birdie the first hole he birdied the first hole against martin keimer in the playoff um you know the three-hole playoff at whistling straight so there's something about once he he can't get worse than first second place that talent just comes out you know it's like okay i got a safety net so now i'm just going to relax and he's he's been so relaxed in playoffs i wasn't there for the martin keimer uh you know tournament one of my friends caddy because my son was being born but um, but yeah, it's it's pretty special how good he is, you know, when he's relaxed, and so that that's so important, you know. Yeah, and how, and how obviously it was a disappointing week to to come so close there at the PGA, and like you say, there you weren't actually there on the week. But how was the reaction after that? You know, how did he cope with coming so close to his first major win and and just slipping past him? You know what, Bubba is the best in the world at one thing. And I, I'm convinced there's no one in golf that can do what he does. And this is the most incredible thing, and I, and I don't think that it's his his own doing. I think it's a gift from God because I don't know anyone who can do what he what what I'm about to tell you. And that's this: this guy can be ready to pull his hair out on 18, walking off, sign his scorecard, and then just clown around and be like, "All right, let's go eat some lunch." And oh man, just <laughs> and I'm just like, what? How you know it, it's a it's an incredible gift, and so he was he was actually happy. I mean, he was like, man, I get to go to the Ryder Cup, and man, I had a good run at it. It was fun, you know. Like, I mean, that's how he is. It's just it's just really it's a strange phenomenon, you know. Uh, he can go from all that pressure and stress to just leaving it behind and not even worry about it. You know, he doesn't he doesn't live in regret. It, it's it's an awesome thing that I don't think most of us can can do. You know, I really honestly haven't met a person yet, caddy, player, wife, spouse, coach that doesn't get disappointed in, you know, their players finish if they don't finish the way we hope. And he just has that rare ability. You know, that was what was so weird about the talk in 2010 was he just made his first hole in one ever on hole 16 to get him just inside the number, then doubled the 17th hole to get one outside the number and miss part of the last hole to miss qualifying for the U S open by one was mad as a hornet signed a scorecard, we went to Chipotle, and he was cutting up and having fun, and I was still mad, and that's why I had to talk with him, you know, and he was like, what? I mean, it was like no big deal to him, right? Because that's how he is. He's just like, yeah, whatever. I mean, he just has a great way of living in the moment, and uh, and once the moment passes, he's okay, he's okay with it, you know? It's pretty. It's a strange thing, man. I, I don't get it. And do you think that's why? Because, you know, I mean, a lot of the time when Bubba does win, it has been coming for a few weeks, and it, especially, especially in the first Masters in 2012, he'd been playing really well for the start of the year. But 
he is also capable of going out there and and winning after a run of a couple of missed cuts or a couple of bad weeks where you know you don't don't necessarily expect him to do so well that week yeah you know his his great physical asset is he doesn't evaluate every swing you know like a lot of people hit a bad shot and they oh i got i think i was a little across the line at the top or oh you know i didn't float load my feet or whatever you know <laughs> so i think for um for him that's a big part of what what he's great at physically is he doesn't get into judging himself. He just he just kind of plays, well, man, my ball's slicing more than normal, so I'll just play a bigger slice today. And, you know, kind of Sam take a book out of Sam Sneed's, you know, or page out of Sam Sneed's book, you know what I mean? Um, you know, you got to dance with who you brought. So if you if you brought a fade, you dance with her today. So I think that's that's a huge strength of Bubba's is that he just kind of, plays the game for what it is that day and he also doesn't practice a whole lot in the sense like you know he, he doesn't hit balls hardly ever very seldom does much chipping he just does a little bit of putting so he's just a guy that likes to play golf he'll go play golf with his friends and play in the club championship at his home course and you know that kind of stuff so he doesn't get discouraged based upon you know a week ago or whatever you know he's very confident in his ability to hit a golf ball where he's looking and, you know, he realizes, man, it's a hard game and, you know, today's a new day. So it's kind of a great outlook of how we, how we should be with life, you know, with all this quarantine and coronavirus, you know, we can look back and regret what we did or didn't get, or we could wake up today and go, man, it's, it's a great day for me to grow as a man, as a woman, whoever's listening and, and, and try to get better at something. And so, you know, if, and when this changes, man, I'm going to be, I'm going to be ahead of the curve and, and get, get back to life and just be appreciative, you know? And I think that's, that's the outlook that Bubba really does take in life and in golf. You know, he's, he's just thankful to be playing, you know? Yeah, no, so that's absolutely right. I think, especially those are some words that we really all need to hear at this kind of time where I think that it's very easy to slip into a, a trap now where just being negative and, and wondering when it's all going to end and, and not just focusing on the fact that, you know, as far as if, if you're healthy and the people around you are healthy and, and you're doing everything you can to improve yourself, then actually you're on to a good win there. So that's a really good thing to hear. Just going back to what you said there about um, him not focusing too much on his golf. Um, obviously, he, he sort of made his own swing and he wasn't really coached as such. And has has there been sort of outside influences like yourself? You, you know, you're a studier of the, of the golf swing and very technical and... Um, obviously, I imagine coaches have offered the chance to work with him before. Have people tried to change it? Is that to resist change quite often? He's never had a lesson, you know, a formal lesson in the sense like uh, going to somebody, hey, fix me, you know, can you fix my swing or whatever. But he, you know, he's he's very alert and attentive and aware. And I think just by watching players growing up is kind of how he formed his own swing. And, you know, I, I think the reason why I'm so technical is because I grew up, I didn't hit it that straight and accurate. So I was like, I got to figure this thing out. You know, I, I love puzzles. And if I can't figure it out, then it frustrates me. So I'll, I'll stick with it. You know, you give me a riddle. I don't want to know the answer. I want to figure it out. But Bubba had figured it out at 12 years old when you're shooting 62, you know, at about 43. What do you need to work on? So I think for him, it's like, why, you know, he thinks it's stupid that people want to know how a swing works. He's like, just hit the ball. But yeah, because your swing <laughs> works, right? So, you know, there's really never been a need for him to try to figure out a swing or whatever. I would say the only the only thing that, that happens, you know, like like a lot of great players is they get a little off in their setup. You know, there's times where um, where he'll, he'll struggle maybe cutting it or something and, you know, say, what do you see? And because I stand there every day and watch him play, 
you know, I'll be like, man, your ball just looks too far this way or that way. And, and he's like, okay. And then he'll move it an inch and then boom, he's back, you know, and yeah. it's, it's not me, you know, being some great technical coach. I mean, he's a great athlete, you know, that you just kind of got to realign the tires a little bit. And now the car is ready to be driven fast. So that's really all, all it is with him. And it's, it's a gift, you know, so for him, it's all about the mind and how he's thinking and relaxed and things like that. That's, that's, that determines how Bubba's going to play. You know, the, the golf courses can't stop him. Only his, his mental approach can. And you know what, when you're playing a video game and you build a character, they have attributes, right? And you get to choose oh, my basketball player is going to be tall, fast, can dunk, can shoot, can slam, can defense. No, honestly, when you're playing a video game, you have to choose, okay, he can be tall, but he won't be fast. He can be short, but he can be fast. He, you know, so we don't get all the attributes, the rare person like Tiger that kind of has every aspect, length, short game, mental. But most of the time, we don't get all of it. And uh, and he's so loaded with physical skills that he's had to work really hard on the mental aspect of it. And then you have other players. You know, I won't mention any names because I don't want to down anybody. But there's there's other great players that really physically you're like, man, I, I feel like there are a lot of caddies that can beat them for fun. You know, I'm like yeah. – even that good and yet every week they turn into 68 every round just going how's this guy do this he's, he's not that good but mental giants you know huge confidence huge heart fighters won't give up you know no circumstance they don't love you know those are the the aspects you can't measure so it's really easy to measure what Bubba's good at it's hard to see what he's what he struggles in and self-proclaimed you know it's the mental side that holds him back when he's not playing well and you know that's that's all we really ever work on yeah, just uh, just wanted to go back to the obviously we're talking about the 2012 Masters just then, and um, Bubba's now got three wins under his belt. He's had three top fives going into the event, and he's just finished fourth at Bay Hill. What was the the mood like for Bubba going into the week there? And is he the type of guy that goes in thinking he's going to win and imagining he's going to win, or is he is he still not entirely sure when he gets there? Because he he had actually had some success. The year before, right? He'd been sort of in the top ten after three rounds at Augusta, so he, he knew he could play the course. You know what, Tom? You're a very wise man because um, there's been three times where Bubba has come to me and said, "I think I can win this tournament," and he's actually won all three of them. So <laughs> it's really been interesting. I'm like, man, you should say that more often. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Bring that. But, um, but he he actually told me. Uh, he said, "Man, I think I can win Augusta," and he told me that in twelve. And I, I thought to myself, "What?" Dude, you've won three, you know, this, you think to yourself, right? Like, dude, get, get real. You know, of course, you know, you can, but I mean, this, this Augusta we're talking about, you only got three wins, buddy. You know, like, yeah, yeah. Not a great, line a bit, yeah. way, but you know, I should have been like, yeah, all over it. But, um, but you know, just had that, that idea in his head. And, uh, and that's the other interesting thing about Bubba is once he gets an idea in his head, man, he can't stop thinking about it. He really can't. And, uh, he's just, you know, like hyper-focused on it, you know? And, um, and man, once he said that, it was just like, he started letting it manifest and believing it. And, you know, sure enough, you know, Augusta has everything that he loves. Every single thing about golf and competition is what he loves. You know, super fast greens, dog leg right to left, tee shots, um, very bright grass defined by brown pine straw. You know, so the target is is like, whoa, there it is, versus playing on Bermuda grass or even the open yeah struggles big time in the open championship why blind tee shots and the grass is all the same color where's the fairway you know so he struggles with commitment and and it doesn't really speak to him so you know places like augusta 
desert golf. You know, those are places that are visually eye popping to him and no rough, you know, so he can be a little wild. And he, and he's always told me if I have a swing, I have a shot. So he knows, Hey, I can recover from a bad tee shot. You know, there's just so many things about it that he loves. So when he started talking that way, you know, you start looking back now and go, you know, man, you know, I could see where he would think that way and knowing how confident he is that he can hit shots. And the fact that now he's got three wins in two years, you know, you start thinking, man, man, I'm, I'm pretty hot. I'm one of the hotter players. You know, how many other players have three wins in the last two years, you know? Yeah. And look, boy, I almost won this tournament and I did well here. You know, so, yeah. So you start you start building your confidence, you know, one step at a time. And most guys play really well at places that they like. You know, one of our best friends is Webb Simpson. He loves a really hard U.S. Open type golf course. And you look, he's won the U.S. Open. He's won the players when it was in May with a Bermuda, which plays like a U.S. Open, you know, and, and Bubba loves Augusta. So, you know, as long as he's healthy, he's going to most likely play well at Augusta because he, he just he thrives in that environment. And that's interesting you say there as well, because obviously uh, the Travelers at TPC River Highlands, he's won three times and Riviera twice. Uh, and, and Phoenix as well. You mentioned the desert golf there. He plays really well in Phoenix. And it's actually a bit of a surprise that he hasn't won there yet. Which yeah, is, um... he's surprised too. He's like, how come I haven't won this tournament? I'm, I'm players here. <laughs> Like you really are. I think he's, I think he's more under par than anybody else in the last ten years at Phoenix. So it's crazy. And he had another shot again this year, didn't he? So it's, it's one of those things where you you, do, you look at you look at golfers and and they really do after, especially after a couple of years, you can really work out where suits them and and what's made for them. And now Augusta obviously just looks like the perfect type of place for him to play. Is he is an artist and the creativity aspect of Augusta really lends himself to him and. After three rounds there in 2012, he's sitting just three off the lead, and yeah, there was a good a good couple of players ahead of him, but he must have thought he had a chance going into Sunday. Yeah, you know, in the early in the early years, it's better to be a a follower, and the fact that Ernie, or Ernie, um, the fact that Phil, and um, and who was it? Um, I think it was, was it Peter Hansen, I believe, was in the final yeah. group. Yeah. And the fact that those two were in the final group, and I think Phil had played really well on Sunday, uh, Saturday to get in that final group, and he had won, you know, before, and you know, all those things just basically said, you know, man, you got Louis Oosthuizen, who's a major winner already, you know, so you're kind of like, who's Bubba Watson, you know? So there was, there was no Bubba Watson, which is a perfect storm um, to play a place that you love and nobody cares, nobody's talking about you, writing about you. You know, it, it was just the perfect storm, and, and it worked out really well. I mean, obviously, Louie played ridiculous golf that day. I, I look back, and Bubba and I have talked about it. I said, like, I don't know how you beat him. I mean, the guy made an albatross on hole two, and it seemed like he, he hit every shot where he looked and made every putt, and somehow we won. I was like, I don't get it, man. I don't suck. <laughs> that was like, one of the things I was going to ask like, is because how difficult, especially where you mentioned now that, that Bubba's susceptible to – to being distracted when the albatross goes in is it one of those things where you just think this is just not my day yeah i think it was just kind of you know like some surprise and shock you know in the sense like wow dude just made an albatross but um but you know these guys have played you know like i said bubba's played competitive golf since he was a young kid so you recognize man the whole two doesn't mean anything you know and you always hear that everybody sells you which is true the back nine on sunday at augusta so uh, you recognize, man, I got plenty of time and there's plenty of hard holes out here and you just got to kind of hang in there. And uh, that's, you know, that's all he did. And he did that really well. So when did it really feel like in 2012 that he 
it was his tournament to win or to, to lose? When, when did it really feel like it was his time to really step up and, and claim the title? I remember when I when we walked on to the 16th hole and I gave him the yardage and I, and I actually smiled when I gave him the yardage because I was like, oh my gosh, dude, this is, this is, we just, I think he birdied three in a row if I remember correctly. Sometimes I get details crossed, but uh, I believe he birdied 13, 14, and 15. We walk on to 16 and it was a perfect eight iron. Like it couldn't have been a better number when <laughs> like it's a cut eight iron. It was no like chippy eight or a really hard eight or a chippy seven. It was a, just a nice, comfortable cut eight iron. And, you know, he's coming off three birdies in a row. And, and I, and I literally thought to myself, I, I mean, I, I remember this very distinctly. I don't remember a lot, but I remember this distinctly. I remember saying the, like looking at the yards and going, Oh my gosh, this is awesome. And then saying it and having a little smirk on my face, like he's going to knock this tight because he's on fire right now. And he hit it and it was like, okay, go in. Like, you know, it was just like a perfect spot ended up with a, a putt, you know, below the hole and he made butt birdie there. So that to me was like, dude, this could happen. And that was when it started to happen. And then gets up on 17 and blocks his tee shot where we feel this is impossible. And Bubba says the second shot on 17 might be his greatest shot he's ever hit in his life. It was so hard. And I was like, really? You know, but to him, it was the lie and everything and, and just made it super difficult. And uh, to me, he's so talented. Some of those shots, I'm like, ah, it's not that hard. But, you know, when you're the one doing it, you probably know better than the person standing on the sideline. Yeah. And I think, you know, obviously there's there's one shot, isn't there, that everyone remembers from from that Masters uh, on the, the second playoff hole on the 10th. But and it's funny when you speak about. Uh, the difficulties in the early days are probably it's pretty quite hard to as a caddy to see the shots that he could see and you said there that you know when he said he has a shot you know he's going to take it type of thing and um did you just have to have complete faith in him that he could hit that shot or could you see where he was coming from when he when he played that shot out of the point you talking about on hold 10 yeah yeah in the playoff um you know backing up to cup probably i don't know 07 or something 08 we were playing in New Orleans and my dad uh, in a practice round and my dad lives you know, close by and Bubba said, tell your dad to come inside the ropes and hang with us. So my dad was walking inside the ropes and my dad said, you know, Ted tells me you can really hook a wedge. You know, can you, how much can you hook it? And so he says, here, put the bag down. And he says, you know, give me a ball. So he says, I don't know, you know, I'll just show you and you can judge for yourself. <laughs> and, uh, he dropped the ball and my dad's watched golf his whole life, played golf his whole life and big, big golf fan. And, you know, he talked about that shot for years. My dad did about how much he hooked that ball. So, yeah. you know, that's a shot that's very easy for Bubba to hook a wedge that much, you know, but the difficulty is how far is it going to go? And of course the situation, you know, I've always equated it to, when when Bob Bob May had the lead clubhouse lead and Tiger had an eight foot putt to tie him at Valhalla, um, you know he made that putt and everybody's like, what are you made of, you know? But really, how hard is an eight foot putt? I mean, you know, it's difficult in the sense like the situation makes it extremely difficult. But in ten tries, a beginner could make that putt. You know, a total beginner to golf, you could probably get him to make that putt a little left, a little softer. So we would agree the skill to make that putt wasn't so amazing. It was more the fact that Tiger Woods made it in one try under the circumstances to get into a playoff. And so I think for Bubba, the skill is something that's pretty easy for him to hook a wedge that much. I mean, he can do that like clockwork. I've never seen him try to hook a wedge and not hook a wedge. So it was more the situation and the fact that you get the the distance right and you hook it the right, the, the right amount. But when we were in the trees, I mean, I thought – 
because Louis had had hit his second shot first. I thought, hey, worst case scenario, we're going to be up there with a chance to make a par because to that pin, there's not a lot of a really terrible places that you can be. You know, if the pin was in the front, it gets really difficult because if you hit the green, it's a crazy fast putt, and if you come up short, the chip runs away, runs down the hill, 25 yards. You know, there's a lot of bad spots, but with the pin in the back, you're like, hey, man, there's a lot of short game opportunities. So, you know, I wasn't too nervous about that, being that Louie had had to get his up and down as well. thought, hey, we, we're still in this thing, you know. Yeah, and then obviously he gets to win, and, uh, you know, I can't imagine what that must have felt like at the first time. But um, obviously you see all the images now of him, you know, in floods of tears, and it was really quite a special moment for people to see. And how difficult is it to get back up for the rest of the year especially with the, in a Ryder Cup year as well when when you've done something as, as amazing as that it's not that hard it's actually the following year that becomes very difficult you yeah. know it's the break afterwards you, you you live on the adrenaline and the high of winning that that tournament and you're still focused and you feel invincible and then you go home and rest and you start back up the next year and now you start questioning yourself am i good am i good you know man i haven't won since uh since april and uh, what about this and what about that and and then the media attention is so bright you know that's when they started i think really starting to do featured groups back then yeah so uh, here you are on thursday you're you haven't teed off yet and you're you got camera crews you're shooting four over on the first six holes and you got a camera crew watching every shot you know whereas used to be that was only whenever you were playing well. So you kind of like, Oh, I'm, I'm swinging well, you know, it's kind of like the caddy shot on 17 at, at TPC. You know, that's, that shot's really hard for caddies because we're not playing well and we haven't hit a ball. <laughs> You've literally carried the clubs for 17 holes. You're stiff as you can be. And it's like, all right, step up in front of all these people and hit your, somebody else's golf club on your first swing on this green. You know, it's like, man, that's hard, you know? So the spotlight can be devastating. And it, and it was and 13 was, you know the second toughest year you know top two toughest years working with Bubba and we had to have a little bit of a talk after that year as well you know just because the the pressure was so high the stakes were so high based upon outside people you know making it seem like it was that important and we had to dial it back to what what are your goals Bubba not everybody else's goals you know you can't you can't one thing I love a saying is you can't accomplish someone else's goals no, and, and it's amazing there what you say because a lot of people, there's one of these things out there where they say, oh, it's an even year now, so yeah, Bubba's got a great chance at the Masters and he always seems like he may struggle in his defence of the title. Is that is that as much as the pressure of being a Masters champion and trying to defend, or is it like you say there where you've just had a, a really good year and, and you're down tools? It, you know, there obviously is a, an expectation coming back as a defending champion, especially in 2013 for the first time doing it. Man, it's so difficult, you know, and I think because, again, you know, the old adage is so true, one shot at a time. And what what really does one shot at a time mean? Of course it's one shot at a time. You don't hit two shots at one time. Here, give me whatever in my wedge. I'm going to hit this shot here and that shot there at the same time. So what does one shot at a time mean? It really just means one thing, Tom. Don't time travel. It means you you're in the moment at the moment. That's all you are. You're not thinking what if. What if I blade this? What if I hit it in the water? What if Tiger birdies? What if I don't win? What if, you know, what if they write this? What if that's what time travel is? Or last time I was here, I did this. Or last time I was here, this happened. Or two years ago, I hit it out of bounds on this hole. Or, oh, I remember when, you know, when this guy hit his tee shot and this happened. 
that's all time travel and it's very bad for golf, you know, for your golf shot. So the difficult part is the noise, the noise meter, the decimal, you know, raises so high and there's almost nowhere to hide from it. And that's why I'm a real big believer that why you have seen certain guys rise to number one and they don't stay there for very long. And I think other guys can get to number one, like Dustin, Tiger, whatever. Brooks is good, that guy. Rory, I think, is becoming that guy to where they can get to number one and sustain it because they they figure out how to not let the noise get to them. Most people, when you get to number one, the noise is so loud, you can't even hear your own thoughts anymore. So so how do I stay in the moment? It's like everybody's giving me thoughts to time travel, you know, and that's the that's the challenge, man. That is – listen – I'm not a great golfer. I mean, I'm, I'm a probably a plus one, which is, you know, pretty good. But it's like, man, when I would go play in tournaments, I would choke my butt off. Why? <laughs> all I could think about is my dad and my friends who are going to call me after the round. I mean, I'm literally standing over a four footer going, well, if I miss this, I got to tell him I shot 76, you know? <laughs> and it's like, well, no wonder I wasn't good in under pressure because I, I didn't know that I wasn't supposed to time travel. I mean, I'm, I'm hitting a shot and I, I'm, my brain is somewhere else. But yet for fun, when there's no, when I don't have to tell anybody, all I'm thinking about is a shot at hand. So one shot at a time is great if you can figure out how to do it. And when you become a great player or win something huge, that noise gets so loud that it becomes difficult. And as a matter of fact, one caddy came up to me right after we won the Masters a couple weeks later, and he said, get ready for about a year and a half of hell. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, just wait. You're going to see. And his player had won a major, and, man, he was right. You know, it was like trying to figure out what is going on you know there's so many voices so much attention so many people trying to influence this team and i don't like it and he didn't like it you know so just difficult man but uh but you know it's part of the growing experience and some people are groomed and to handle it some people are just born to handle it and others have to figure it out and i think Bubba definitely had to figure it out and he came back in 14 and much stronger as a result i mean he, he learned quickly like man it's not important what everybody else says. It's just I just need to go play golf because I love the game and compete because I want to do it. Yeah, and I think one of those things there, we, we talk about a lot of people say that the Ryder Cup is, is a really fun event and the players really love getting up for it, even though there's, there's not as money at stake and things like that. And, but the, the pressure is so intense. Do you think it was a good or bad time to play those Ryder Cups being in the same years that he's won the Masters? Or do you think it had no real effect on it whatsoever? No, it has no real effect. I mean, the team event is a different kind of pressure because you're playing for honor of your teammates and honor of your country or countries, you know, if you're on Team Europe. So it just feels different. It's a, it's a pressure too, man. It's a pressure like, honestly, it might be more pressure than a major, to my, in my opinion. You know, it's it just feels very different and it's a lot of fun, but it's a lot of pressure because you just don't want to disappoint your friends and your teammates, you know, and so again and it's hard not to leaderboard watch oh no that you know that guy's got momentum and oh i gotta win my match because of this you know it's just it's just so much distraction but you know i don't think any of these guys would trade it they all love it you know everybody just trying to make a Ryder cup and president's cup team you know because it's so much fun you know and uh and there's so much pride on the line you know and, and it's just it's a it's a great great thing to be a part of you know really is yeah, and Bubba and, and Webb are both, you know, good friends, and yourself and Paul. And, and how important was their relationship in those matches? Because they had a, a really, a, a Medina especially, you know, the week didn't end as, as you'd have hoped, but they had some really good results, two, two five and four victories and, and a very narrow loss on, on the Saturday as well. Yeah, you know, they uh, they have very funny personalities together. Um, Paulie always says, 
he can't like for a while there he wouldn't let us play practice rounds together because the two of them get to clowning around so much that Paul because <laughs> Webb is very much a strategic type player. Bubba's more of just a feel, but Paulie and Webb are very much like, okay, when the pin's here, we're gonna hit it here and this is you can't get up and out of the you know, they go through and talk about all that. But when Webb and Bubba play practice rounds, you know, that all goes out the window. The two kids start, you know, like one I remember one funny story where where uh, they were having a chipping contest while Paul was marking down a bunch of stuff, and he looks at me, he's like, Webb, get over here! <laughs> and the reason he was saying that is because Bubba had Webb's right-handed wedge, and Webb had <laughs> wedge on the practice round, you know, and they're they're trying to chip against each other. So just uh, a lot of fun, great personality, and again, you know, that's what makes great teams is the chemistry, and that's what's so hard about a Ryder Cup is figuring out what is the chemistry, you know? I mean, how do you... How do you get the chemistry together? And I, I believe it's more important than how somebody's playing. You get the two right people together, and they just they feel like you can't be beat. I mean, when I played foosball, I know it's a terrible, you know, when I played foosball, comparing it to that, but um, my partner and I, we won three state championships in the world, you know, championship that we call it the world, kind of like our baseball world champions. Uh, um, but anyway, we won based on chemistry. We literally just randomly played together one day. And nobody could beat us, and we just had this chemistry. And I was like, dude, we need to go play in a tournament. And the first tournament we played, and we won, you know, state champions. So I think that's a huge part of Ryder Cup is trying to figure that out. And to me, there's a little bit of an advantage in Europe because it's not as convenient to travel. A lot of times there was a shovel, shuttle bus to, to, you know, from the hotel. Whereas over here, you know, on the PGA Tour, it's more uh, everybody's got their own car, everybody's in their own hotel. So our players don't really hang out as much, you know, unfortunately. And I think that's, that's something I, I wish they did, you know, just, just for the life purposes. And I really enjoy that when I go to the European tour events that, you know, we get to hang out more as, as players and people. And I think that's what makes a great team is just kind of knowing each other and who you, who you enjoy being around. And y'all seem to have that lick really well, the chemistry on y'all's team. I mean, it's hard to beat y'all because of that, in my opinion, it's just, it's awesome. Yeah. I think it's really interesting. You say that. I spoke to, um, a guy who's played both tours, Peter Uline, the other day, and he was saying that when he played on the European tour, he felt exactly that, that there was so much more sort of camaraderie and friendship within the tour and that, you know, you always had a five or six group you know, on, going out for a drink and, you know, just relaxing in your downtime, whereas on the PGA Tour, it feels a little bit more sort of like isolated and, you know, everyone's still friendly and you still have your friends out there, but more people are sort of within themselves and, and got their own thing going on on the PJ tour. Yeah. You know, I, I think it's a little bit of, of the culture, you know, um, in, in America, you know, one of the things is the American dream is to become successful or whatever. And then, um, you know, people, people come over here, you know, to get a part of the American dream. You know, a lot of players from other countries want to come play here. I think because of that opportunity to make a way for yourself and your family in the future, and it's 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 a very convenient place to play, you know, um, easy to travel, easy to find places to stay. You know, you don't have to have a passport to go from one tournament to the other. So there's a lot there's a lot of conveniences. But with that positives, you know, come some negatives. And that is the fact that it's like you said, there is less camaraderie. You know, I think uh, you, if you were go, to go on the Web dot com tour, the mini tours, there's way more camaraderie, you know, because, again, by default, you know, you, you, you kind of maybe room together, travel together, rent a car together, go from one tournament together, fly together, you know, whatever. Whereas you don't see a lot of that on the PGA Tour. So, yeah, it's it's definitely a dynamic that I think is missing. Um, but it's not necessarily a bad thing. It just is what it is, you know. Um, 
you know, I would like to see more of that camaraderie. That's why I really enjoy going overseas and playing in other tournaments because we do get to do that more. You know, you go go down in the evening and sit sit in the lobby at the hotel and there's always three or four guys you can sit down and chat with, which is nice, you know. Just the other thing, just before we get off of the Ryder Cup there, is uh, you say that Bob obviously really played well with Webb and, you know, he enjoyed being part of a team. So what's the difference when he's played singles matches? Because he has struggled with those, and I don't know if it's because he's come up against sort of like, you know, a big wheeled guy at the worst time because obviously he plays great golf during the day. It's just that he seems to struggle to win when it just comes down to him in those matches. Yeah, you know, I think that's that's a mental choice of Bubba that he struggles with, and that is the distraction part of looking at the leaderboard. You know, he's a leaderboard watcher when he's playing it, and it it literally doesn't bother him one bit to see where he is and what he has to do. It actually helps him. He's a, he's a strange guy in that, you know, he's like, hey, we're one back, we got to make a birdie, and he'll go make a birdie, you know, kind of a deal. But I think the leaderboard, in my opinion, just crushes him in singles because he gets to calculating, oh, no, you know, this guy's got to do this and that, you know, and it's like, <laughs> we got to do our job, you know, play your play your game. So I think for him, he's he's learning that, you know, in the early years, it was like a lot of distraction. And then he's actually done really well in the last few, I think, at, at playing his game. But we just kind of run into a buzzsaw, you know, I mean, uh, Henrik Stenson played ridiculous golf the first like five holes uh, in Paris. I mean, I was just like, holy crap, dude. This The course, the you know, fairways felt like they were about 10 yards wide, and he was bombing it out there, 330 in the center of every one of them. Yeah. And just got off on a quick lead and never let up. You know, he played great golf. So, you know, you're going to have some of that. But just trying to learn from, from your past, that's all you can do. And Bubba's very willing to learn from his past. And uh, hopefully, you know, in the future, we'll get in another Ryder Cup and be able to, to try to go out and be a little less distracted on – what everyone else is doing and a little more just go out and play and do our, our thing, you know? There's, there's a couple of other things that I want to draw on here. We're just going to go fast, sort of fast forward to the, the 2014 Masters. Um, obviously, we know what happened there. Another great victory. Um, and it's interesting what you say is that when he seems to know what he needs to do or he comes under a bit of pressure, it seems to play better because um, for the first seven holes of that final round, you know, with Jordan Spieth, it it looked like he couldn't lose and then uh you know but Bubba was quietly matching a lot of his his holes and making really good putts I think he had like 10 or 11 one putts throughout the whole day um so it was really putting well and um it sort of comes to hole eight and and Jordan has a bad three wood into the into the ground not necessarily a bad three wood but the the third shot um and and then Bubba sort of just kicks on from there and and, and the rest sort of seems to be history yeah you know I mean Augusta, he just feels great, like I said. And I think one of the huge factors I didn't discuss earlier is is the the patrons are are so well behaved there, you know, because of the rules in place and the marshals are very good at if you hit a ball in the trees at making a space so we don't have to move them. So you kind of feel, even though there is large crowds and great roars, at Augusta it just feels like you're out there playing golf alone. And so it's just an artist with his canvas and uh and it's very quiet, you know. It's a, it's not a normal week where we chatted up a whole bunch and we're cutting up like we normally would. It's just like really kind of just a quiet stroll in the park and just enjoying the beauty of it. And uh, you know, Bubba's friends with Jordan and Michael Greller is caddy, and so you know, very comfortable to be out there with them. And um, and uh, you know, definitely Bubba was probably thinking, I'm assuming this is speculation, but hey, buddy, 
come and get me. I don't care if you're leading or not. I said, I've won this before you have it, you know? And, uh, and so that was kind of the thought process. And, um, you know, after Bubba won, I mean, Michael was a very good friend of mine. He was devastated. And, uh, and man, I was just like, you know, trying to reach out to him going, man, you know, it's cause it's like, you know, thinking it's his one chance. And so it was really cool that he won the following year. Um, I got to go and I took care of his bag and, you know, filmed him a little bit, the ceremony and stuff, just trying to, you know, serve him the best I could serve Michael. And it was, it was really cool that they got the win. But, um, but yeah, I just think, you know, the comfort level of having done it, you kind of feel like, buddy, you know, this guy hasn't done it. The pressure is going to be harder for him. And it is, you know, if you haven't done it, if we were playing against Tiger in that same situation, it'd been very difficult for Boa to, to continue to play well, you know, just because like, man, it's Tiger Woods, you know, everybody else thinks he's going to win. I think most people thought Bubba was going to win that, that time, you know? So the pressure's more on Jordan, even though he might have been leading. Yeah, and I was I was watching. Obviously, I said to you earlier that I was, I was rewatching this final round back earlier today, and um, it just certainly looks that you touch upon the relationship with Bubba and Jordan and yourself and Mike there. That after every time that Jordan hit a good shot or made a good putt or sort of edged in front of him, Bubba just looked so complimentary of him, and I think that speaks volumes of his character. A lot of people that don't focus on that that actually he was very much like you know. He was almost willing him on, and I know obviously he's out there to win, but he did seem very comfortable with with praising him and and helping him. And at, at the end there, he apologised to, or well, didn't apologise to him, but was felt sorry for him. And it seemed so sincere that it, it just it just looked like he was completely at peace. Obviously, knowing that he'd done it two years prior, and he could he could go and do that without getting too distracted from his own game. You know what? I don't really have much to add to that. You're absolutely right. It's a great assessment and. Uh you know, good evaluation from your part as an outsider looking in, um, you know, Bubba truly does care about people and how they play. And, you know, a lot of people don't know, but he, you know, he has some friends on the tour that, that he calls, you know, checks on, uh, some top players and, and they've had some really great words to say about how much they appreciate that. Cause a lot of times when you're a, a superstar, you don't, you don't get a lot of people that maybe don't call and check on you maybe because they're afraid or, mainly because they don't care. They think you have it all figured out. And, uh, and he's just that guy where he'll he'll make that phone call or just send a text and, and just check on you. He's done that to me, whatever. So very caring person by nature, cares about people. Um, and then, you know, like you said, being that he had one in 12 really does relieve the pressure. Like you don't feel like you have to do this. You're like, you know what? I'd like to do it, but I don't have to. I've already done it. Whereas maybe Jordan felt like he had to do it. You know, it's like I, this is my one chance kind of thing. Obviously, we know now it wasn't his one chance, but uh, no. <laughs> but you kind of feel that way, probably, you know. Yeah, and and also another thing I wanted to touch on there is uh, so 2014 there was a three win season. You had Riviera, the Masters, and the WGC in China, uh, and then you had that again um, in you know 2018. You had another three win season again at Riviera, um, and another WGC and and a third Travelers. What what goes into him going on those kind of runs and and do you get a sense of when it's going to happen and when it's not? Because it does seem to be that he's very capable of winning in bunches quite often. Yeah, I think Bubba's extremely capable of winning in bunches. And I, th- I think personally, I mean, this would be a this would be a crazy statement, but I think he could win as many times in his 40s as BJ did, you know, if he really wanted to. Um, but you know, it comes down to it comes down to motivation. Because it's difficult. It's very difficult to be at that high level. And and what I mean by that is uh, there's a lot of stress being on top. You know, like I said, tons of criticism, tons of pressure, tons of outside noise. And, you know, 
golf is not the number one priority in Bubba's life. I think some players, it's it's that's their one thing they want. They want to be the best player they can be at all times, at all costs. And, uh, you know, Bubba wants to be the best player he can be, but it's not his number one priority. You know, family, it's family first, God, you know, God and family. And so for him, I think it all boils down to motivation. You know, when you look at financially, he doesn't really have much to gain. He's in a great place financially. Career-wise, he didn't have a whole bunch to gain in the sense like, you know, he's already won some majors and World Cup championships and won more than 10 times on tour, played Ryder Cups, President's Cups. So it's like, okay, it really is going to boil down to two things. Number one, what's his motivation? You know, is he driven to do well, which you have to put the thinking into at the time of thinking on how I want to get get better because Bubba doesn't do a lot of physical practice, but he, he has put a lot of mental energy into how to play well. So that would be the first thing is, is you know, just assessing what is my motivation? Am I motivated? And then number two is, is you know, how much am I willing to work on my mindset on the golf course? You know, because that's what Bubba's weakness has been, you know, it's, as a golfer, what holds him back is this has been, you know, for maybe reaching his full potential is how's he thinking? So if he's willing to battle those two things and trust me, they are a battle because, you know, if you have children, I don't know if you do Tom, but give your kids a whole bunch of stuff every day for free. Just give them, spoil them for three or four days and then take it away and, and watch what, how they start acting. You know, <laughs> like the motivation to work or do anything goes downhill real quick. They start expecting you to give it to them, you know, and, uh, and that's how we are as humans. You know, I think the more you get, the more you kind of lose desire to go out and get it. You know what I'm saying? And I think that's something that that's up to Bubba to decide if he wants to motivate himself and push himself or not. And then other than that, the, we all have weaknesses and your weaknesses is always going to be your weakness, no matter how much you work on it. You know, an introvert who has to speak in public is never going to be comfortable in the day of their life speaking in public. It's always going to yeah. battle. And the, and if they take time away from it, when they come back, it's even harder. It's like you lost ground. So for him, it's like, does he really want to battle on getting comfortable out there? And, you know, if he's willing to do those two things, man, I think we could win a lot more, you know, together. And I hope I get to be a part of that. And if he doesn't, I'm fine with that too. I mean, I'm very comfortable in my life as well. I've been super blessed to have the success that, uh, you know, that I've had just because I'm riding his coattails. I think I think you give yourself a bit of disservice there, but uh, it's one of those things that you've sort of answered a little bit. My question is in the sense that um, it, if he did put golf as a as a number one priority, um, it almost certainly appears to me that he he could be the number one golfer in the world. He has the the natural ability to do so. And is there is there any times where you suddenly think, well, actually, I, I really want him to push himself and and go that little bit further than than maybe he has before, even though he is a a multiple major champion and, and obviously went over 10 times on tour. You know what? I think for me, I just want to support my friend and what his goals are. You know, um, obviously I'm a competitor. I like to compete at stuff and I want to be really good and, I, and I'm motivated to do well. Um, but like I said earlier, you know, one of my favorite quotes is you can't reach someone else's goals. So it can't be our goals for him or his management team or, you know, or a friend's goals for him. It has to be, it has to come from within. So he'll do the work and be motivated. And my job is to support that goal, whatever that goal is. And so, you know, of course I would love if he wants to work hard at it, I would be all, all on board. And if he just wants to go out and, and, and be a top 50 player, which I think he can just talent alone can do that, you know, um, then let's do that too. Cause it's a, it's a fun job either way. Um, but yeah, it's, it's going to be up to him whether he wants to do that. And if he does, 
he'll definitely have my support as well as many others. Um, but yeah, I believe with all my heart, he could be number one if he really wanted to be, if that was his desire. But, um, like I said, when you have, when you have a fear of people that you don't know, being number one is a scary endeavor. And, you know, he got to number two in the world at one time. And, uh, and, and I think, I think at any other point in history, he might've been number one because his ranking was like a nine, I think something like that, but somebody was at 11, you know, yeah. so whatever it was, most of the time he would have been number one, but that particular moment, somebody was at an 11, which is unheard of. But, um, but anyway, I think, uh, I think he could, but it's, but it's, if you already have a little bit of a fear of being around people you don't know and a lot of attention, that's a hard place to, to be, to be motivated. Like I want to be number one, you know, it's like, Whoa, I don't know if I want to be number one, you know? Uh, so I think it's kind of like maybe if you were a UFC fighter and you're like, I want to go fight people. And then you get a, in the cage and you're like, standing in this corner is a, you know, five degree Jajillion, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, <laughs> six degree Muay Thai fighter. He's also got a 40 and 0 boxing career with 39 knockouts. You're like, Whoa, I, I don't know if this is what I want to do, man. This guy, yeah. you know, so you kind of got to evaluate well, why am I doing this? And, and so that, that has to come from within him. And if he, if he decides to do that, I believe that it can happen. You know, I really do. Even at, even at 40 in his forties, he's good enough talent and still hits it plenty far to be that good at golf. If, if that's, if he so desires. And that's another, the other thing, the, the positive side of looking at it is where he isn't making it number one priority. That obviously frees him up to have uh, the good weeks where he's not putting the pressure on himself and, and he doesn't overreact to a bad week or, or disappointing any one moment. So uh, just looking, obviously, fast forwarding right now to, to the present days, uh, he sort of started off um, at the end of the end of last year. He finished 18th out of an 18-man field in, in the Bahamas where maybe the, the pressure's not on and he just kind of wanted to relax and get back into his golf. Um, but then he follows up with a sixth-place finish at Torrey Pines and a third-place finish in Phoenix where, you know, we're hoping he's going to win at some point. <laughs> Yeah, you know what, Tom, to answer your question is a great time, uh, you know, to talk about this pandemic going on and, and, you know, to kind of relate to what you're saying. You know, Bubba has actually called me before after a win and said, man, what's the point, you know? And, and it sounds it sounds like he's discounting, but it's kind of like, you know, what is the point of winning? You know, it, it's it's a lot of fun to win and he would never discount that it's not fun to win. You get a lot of reward, you get a lot of praise, but in the end, it kind of goes away. The people start talking about, you know, the next person that's going to win or the next champion. And they kind of forget like you've won. Right. You know, I mean, people, my friends aren't calling me to congratulate me for winning the foosball championship still. You know, it's like if I want to get congratulations. I got to start playing again and let them, you know, maybe win again so they can congratulate me. So it kind of this type this time of life in this crazy pandemic quarantine and all that. It just really makes you think about what is important in life is winning a big golf tournament important. Does it really change other people's lives? Does it change your life? You know, you start asking all those questions and he's asked those questions, you know, not during a pandemic after you win and kind of go, man, what is this all about? You know, really, because in the end, it can be quite shallow if you if you focus on the wrong things. And I think that's where Bubba is getting it right in that he's trying to look at it as, man, if I win, I get a platform to help people. And, you know, he's using his financial resources to help people his physical resources to help people versus if you're just trying to win for you, then you're just celebrating with yourself. It's kind of empty. It honestly is. And I think that's where in the early years when guys start out on tour, they're trying to win because they're doing it for themselves, but it kind of goes away. You kind of feel like, okay, I got it. Now what, you know, and, and you just see a lot of that, uh, 
kind of people wandering around like, what do I do now? But if you can use it for a greater purpose, then to me it's like, well, let's go win every week and just give all the money away. Let's go win every week and just you know love on people and, and show them your great golf shots so they can see how fun it is to play golf the way you play golf. And like, you know, if I was Bubba and I had that talent and I had the financial success and all that, that's how I would be trying to look at it is, man, I want to go show off for people to enjoy it, entertain people, interact with the crowd, give all my money away, you know, whatever, and just make it like for, for do this for everybody else. Cause there is no pressure. There is no pressure at this point. There really shouldn't be. I mean, what do you have to prove? Yeah, people are writing about, will Bubba win again? You know, it's like, so what? Who cares what that guy thinks? You know, that guy's never done it. You know, he's never won the Masters. So, of course, he can write a headline that sounds ugly towards you or whatever. And, but in my opinion, the more we serve others, the more true, deep, lasting joy there is in life. You know, the more we serve ourselves, the, the shallower that you have to get it again next week. You know, it's almost like, I guess, taking a drug or something. I've never done drugs, but maybe you get high and then you're like, I got to get this again. And I got to get it again. And you get so addicted to that high. But in the end, it just goes away quickly. You know, even winning the Masters as a caddy, you know, it, it's a great memory. And it was a fun time in my life. But really, other than financial gain, what did I get from it? A few thank yous and pro, uh, a few praises. Man, it's so cool. But other than that, how am I using that to serve other people? And that's the part that I love. I love trying to help people, teach them to get better at their own game, share some funny stories, maybe make them laugh preach a little bit to him like I'm doing to you right now. <laughs> so I'll stop rambling, but uh, I think that's where Bubba's getting it right at this point in his life where he's really trying to use his platform to better the world instead of doing it just for himself. Yeah, no, I'll get that. And I think the, the side uh, some people don't see of many golfers is, you know, Bubba has his own foundation and, and he gives gives to charity for that and and yourself and him are part of that success and his 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 talent and your abilities to, to help him on the course lead to you helping others so that is a, a massive thing that that people probably overlook you know it's very easy for a golf fan or a golf writer to just focus on results 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 rather than how much has Bubba Watson grown off the course and how much how has their relationship and their friendship developed over time and so that's a really cool thing to get an insight on which is why I'm, I'm really glad that you're here sharing this with us today um, and also just another thing to take away from that has there been conversations of you know Bubba's 41 now and is he the type of guy that's going on to the Champions Tour or do you think he'll use that time to kind of be as competitive as he can be until 50 and then he's, you know, potentially going to hang it up and, and take time for his family and, and really focus on the charitable side of things? You know what? I think he loves the game of golf. He just loves it. I mean, he, he it's a, you know, Bubba loves games of any kind. Like if you said, hey, let's go play marbles or something, you know, yeah, let's do it. You know, <laughs> he just loves any kind of hand-eye, fun, challenging and so the game of golf is intriguing to him because you can hit all kinds of shots. And so I don't think he'll ever quit playing the game. And I think he, he loves to compete. You know, it's fun to get out there and be nervous and, and try shots in front of people. And, you know, it's so I think he would continue to play on the, on the um, Champions Tour. But, you know, ultimately, whenever you hear Bubba speaking negatively about, like, I don't want to be number one or, man, I'm, I'm, not, I'm quitting golf. It's more because the noise is getting so loud and people are trying to direct him in a place that he doesn't want to go. And I, and I think that's just him not knowing how to react to it, you know, how to quiet down the noise. Because, again, it's, it's very difficult when everybody wants you to do something that you don't want to do. That's a hard place to be in your life. You know, it's like, come on, man, you need to do this and do that. It's like, I don't want to do that. I just don't I don't feel the need to go out and do that, you know, whatever that is. So 
I think he'll as long as he can as long as he can keep a peaceful mind and and understand that it's okay for him to play golf at the pace he wants to play when he wants to play and just block out any noise or expectations from people that really don't have his best interest he'll continue to play forever as long as he can because he just loves it but at times there'll be there will be times most likely as there have been in the past where he'll just want to go and give it all up because of the noise gets too loud or at the time you're just not in a good place to deal with that noise yeah that's great and i think um just one of those things there from a personal standpoint i think you've spoken of it before now where you had maybe a couple of moments earlier on in your, your partnership where things got a bit tough and you spoke about it in 2010 but for now it seems that your relationship is, is as good as it's ever going to get you know your your families are close and can you you obviously said that if if he has you you'll stay on his bag for for as long as he wants and do you ever really even think about you know potentially going to a different bag at, at any point or you know moving on for yourself personally when when things get a little bit tough or anything like that you know, as as long as Bubba's willing to work on himself as a golfer, as a person, and as long as, you know, hopefully he feels the same way as me, as long as I'm willing to work on myself, I, I think that's all the, that's all we can ask of any relationship. You know, it's like I don't expect perfection from my children. They're going to make mistakes. I don't expect perfection from my wife. I don't expect perfection from Bubba. I just want to see that he's trying to progress towards be- being better. And if he's willing to do that, then I want to stay working with him because he's such a great friend and great person and obviously a great golfer as well. So that's a lot of fun to work with those attributes. You know, the few times that, that I've thought about quitting is when I've had those talks with him and just said, look, man, you know, I, I don't want to do this anymore because I don't want to be a part of this type of team where there's no willing to be to grow as a person, as a man, as a Christian, you know, whatever. But if you're willing to grow, man, I'm going to be the best supporter, encourager I can be. And I, I'm very resilient when someone's willing to try. I'm, I'm very quick to give up when everybody else is giving up. I'm, I don't know why I'm like that, but like, I have no resilience. If you, if you don't show show me a little bit of hope, I'm done. Like I could, I could just quit in a minute and not even look back. But if you're like, man. I'm struggling, but let's, I'm still trying. I'll, I'll never give up on you. You know, that's just my nature. So it's kind of a strange dynamic. I, I think I wish I could be more consistent in that, but I, I just need a little bit of hope from people and I'll go to battle for them, you know, and Bubba's definitely my guy when it comes to that. You know, as long as he's willing to put a little bit of energy into it, I'll put all my energy into it. Yeah, I think that's really important. I think that you touched upon there is another question I was going to ask is that obviously, um, he, he does have these outbursts and he does, I'm sure he, he's a difficult character at times, but you've just nailed it there that even if he shows even a glimmer of hope, you're going to give everything you can. And it would it would obviously then take something where he just really doesn't want to do it anymore for you to go, OK, well, I can't I can't support you then. So I think that that answers my question there. Just a couple of things Tim, before I let you go, because obviously we've been on, the, been on here for a long time now. But uh, the first thing I want to ask is uh, just a couple of stories, really. The, fir- uh, the weirdest thing you've seen on a golf course. The weirdest thing I've seen on a golf course? The weirdest thing. Oh my gosh. Weirdest thing I've seen on a golf course. Gosh. That's, that took me off. That took me by surprise. <laughs> weirdest thing. Man, gosh. That's a, probably a golf swing. I've seen some really weird some really <laughs> golf swings. Like, how's this guy even trying to play right now? Uh, man, yeah. I don't know. The weirdest thing. That's that's a tough one, man. I think I think a funny story is uh, there's a there's a scoring official who was having a conversation with a pro and he said, uh, he said, man, I, I've, you know, I've been playing golf since I was 10 and I've never been hit by a golf ball. And the pro said, I've been out on tour for 12 years and I've never hit anybody. And, uh, during the tour championship, 
the, they had a break in scoring and the, the rules official, the scoring official decided to go walk and see when the next group was coming up. So he walks under the grandstands, takes a peek out just to see if anybody's on the hole to see, you know, how much time he has. And he gets hit by a golf ball and it's the guy that, that's never <laughs> hits him. So that's, that's a pretty strange phenomenon. They talked on Wednesday and then hit him later that week. So, uh, that's pretty weird. If you ask me. <laughs> And lastly, just a, a standout moment of yours with Tiger Woods. You know, the, probably one of the one of the greatest shots I ever saw Tiger hit. This is me being a newbie, but going back to the Canadian Open, uh, that that walk, you know, the 250 yard walk to the to the first tee, and they had built a little small grandstand on the side there on the left. They had probably a thousand people or whatever. I don't know. And uh, you know, it was very loud. Everybody, the, the energy level was very high, and all of a sudden. They go, you know, the guy walks out like he's getting ready to announce, and he didn't have to say quiet, please. I mean, everybody was paying attention, staring at Tiger. And uh, so they, so he comes out to announce, and, and as soon as he gets ready to start talking, I mean, it just was like a pin drop. It was, you didn't have to say anything. Everybody was paying attention. It got real quiet, and he said, you know, welcome to the whatever two o'clock tea time. You know, now on the tee, Tiger Woods, and man, it was like he just won the tournament. You know, <laughs> roar. And I mean, my heart was jumping out of my chest, like, oh my gosh, you know, how are we going to play in this environment? You know, and then all of a sudden, it huge roar, and then back to complete silence. And I mean, I was like, okay, heart, stop beating so loud, you're going to distract. Me. You know, like this is literally what I'm thinking. Like, man, please stop. I'm sure you can hear my heartbeat right. Now. I can hear my heartbeat. It's so loud, you know. So anyway, um, he he walks in. And this man swung so hard, Tom, that I don't think either foot was on the ground. And I mean, literally, it was it was almost to say like, "Hey, you guys aren't beating me today," you know. And that was so impressive to me. I mean, the, because most of us, most of us mere mortals, I know, you know, whether you're joined a group, whether you're a ten handicap and you finally get to play with the five handicaps, or it's the first hole of your club championship, or there's two people watching and you're a beginner, whatever it is, most of us. One of the hardest tee shots, including tour pros, is the first tee. And that's where we might be a little bit guidey or a little bit like, ah, I'm not sure how this day is going to go. So there's a lot of question. There's a big question mark in, on the tee box, and you got to go solve it, right? But this dude just walked in there and just stepped up like he had been playing 36 holes and hadn't missed a shot and swung as hard as he could and picked his tee up, and his ball was in the dead center of the fairway. And I was just going, wow. I mean, what nuts and fearlessness this dude has it was incredible i mean i couldn't believe it it was totally shocking me i'd never played golf like that a day in my life where i just walked to the first tee and stepped up and swung like that and here's a man i couldn't barely breathe i was just watching you know inside the ropes and and for him to do that was just awesome so that to me maybe not what you were looking for but that was impressive that was really no, that's, that's perfect no absolutely um ted i'm gonna let you go i think we've had I've taken enough of your time as to say t this week should have been a, a completely different story but we have had the uh, the news now that the masters will be played in november so um you have at least got a trip there to look forward to i don't know how different that's going to play um but i wish you well for uh certainly for this strange time in quarantine and also for the season ahead Tom, I really appreciate the time, man. You're a stand-up guy, and uh, I hope this goes well for you. And maybe we'll get to play, like I said, uh, if we go to the Open next year, you and I can go play around off-site somewhere. It'd be fun to hang. That sounds wonderful to me. Thank you very much, Ted. All right.